Hey, I'm Angie. And I'm Emily. Being a creative person in the corporate space can be really tough, and we should know. Join us to talk about how to be a right brain in a left-brained world. It's The Artist at Work. As I've mentioned before, my word of the year is pivot. And that has been very circumstantial. It wasn't exactly planned, but it was um, showed itself to me and has been really, really great for myself personally, professionally, um, and has been, you know, such a lovely focus during this really crazy year. So I we want to talk about today a little bit about job pivots, career changes, job moves, why you do it when you do it, um, and what our experience has been. Yeah. Um, I think that's great. I think that, you know, whether or not it is some, a choice that you've made, um, the longer we can stay flexible and nimble and ready to make the next move, even if we are very happy, some would even say complacent, um, the better we set ourselves up to learn more and be more creative and curious and, um, ultimately kind of smarter and well-rounded, I think. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Good. Um, I have only had five jobs, I believe, in the corporate space, um, which I guess is I maybe I'm a medium hopper. Um, is that even right? One, two, three, four, five. Yeah. <laughs> um, which it feels as though I had fewer for some reason, because I once I'm at a place, I tend to stay there for a little while. Um, and we know people and we have friends who are a little bit younger than we are, who have changed jobs every 18 months. And they really take these changes in stride. They're proactive about them. And it makes them, um, I think, more ultimately attractive as candidates um, and probably helps them learn a lot more new skills. It allows you to to see how different teams work. It allows you to benchmark um, what is what is successful, what makes sense, what is good work. And when your teams and your workflows and your processes and your products and your whole place are kind of dysfunctional. You know, you can get stuck in a workplace for 10, 15 years, not knowing that it's a very um, dysfunctional place. You just think that that's how work is. I certainly have friends who feel like that, but it's, it's cool to job hop. Cool to, again, sort of not feel as though you aren't flexing the muscles that you need to flex to stay engaged and interested and interesting. And I think a very real thing you're not talking about here is when you job hop or you get a new role, you typically get a little bit more money or maybe a lot more money. Uh Um, And I think um, those younger people we're kind of thinking about in our minds have pivoted and moved across industries and, you know, up and down. And with that, they become more expensive. They become actually, you know, people want them even more and they get to say what they want. Oh, nope. I only do remote work now. So if you want me, sure, we can be based in Seattle, but I'm a remote worker. And if they want you enough and you're attractive enough because you have all of these things you're bringing to the table because you've moved around strategically, that is a huge deal. That's such a good point. And when you are proactive about managing your career like this, to your point, you also get to say what you want. Um, how many times have you said, or have you heard someone say, 
um, well, they're moving me and I, there's nothing I can do about it. It's just what I've been told to do, whether that's in a reorg or what you're being told to do um, in your day to day. It's a very passive and frustrated way to um, be in a career. And it doesn't have to be like that if you really don't want it to be. Yeah. It really doesn't. And I think I've been on both sides of the coin there. You know, uh, you get moved around and you can either look at it like, well, I don't really have a choice. This is what I'm doing. Or you can look at it as this is a great new opportunity to learn from someone new. And if it ends up not working out, then I know it's time to move on. Yeah, that's a really good point. I always tend to approach things as like, well, this isn't going to work out. <laughs> but yeah, it, 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 there, there are situations in which things align and these moves and these changes that you have no control over end up being ultimately very good for you. But yeah, there's certainly, you know, it it does, again, doing these hops and and making these moves, um, it does put you in control rather than feeling as though you are at the mercy of a corporation. Yeah. Or, you know, being a part of a creative team, which we are or have been, honestly, when there's when there's reorgs, when there's layoffs, when there's not new business coming in, the creatives and the marketers are the first ones to get cut. Mm-hmm. Maybe not all of them, but definitely if there's two of you doing a job or if perhaps you make too much money, it, it would be more advantageous for the company to get rid of you, keep you and your people and just give them more work. Mm-hmm. Which ultimately is a bad move because then everybody becomes unhappy and they all right. leave because they- Correct. Need to hop. (laughs) True. I think too, something that I have thought about a lot over this past year for some reason, probably because as everyone knows at this point, I have a rather big birthday coming up. Um, (laughs) But we are at um, the tail end of a generation of people who stayed at a job for 40 years and then retired and collected their pension and their gold watch. My parents' generation, you saw, and your parents too, you saw people stay at the same jobs, right? For their entire career. And that was probably a cool approach 40 years ago. Um, It was certainly what many people did or thought they needed to do. And I do wonder though, was, were they happy there? Were they complacent? Were they putting up with things they didn't like, but just thought they had to stay there? Is like the loyalty, what drove that? Or was it truly like a lovely experience? I'm sure it's all over the place, but I I just wonder about that. Well, it's funny as you're talking, I'm realizing how much harder it probably was to look for a new job. I mean, how did you, what did you look in the newspaper? I'm sure so, so much of it was just word of mouth and who you knew and networking. Um, I've been thinking about myself as like a intern um, at 20 years old, going through an actual newspaper and circling things. I mean, the internet was not great in 2001. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had a book of, um, a, literally a physical book of like listed all of the advertising and PR agencies in Chicago. And I would dog ear this book and then I would write them, let like, like yep. mail them a copy of my resume cold. I did that senior year. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was really kind of wild. Um, and now it is much easier to job search and to job hop when all you have to do is visit LinkedIn and see who's hiring. And, you know, now also the big trend as it has been for 10 or so years are these, all these best places to work lists, right? Like employers are trying harder to, um, attract top candidates as well. So there, you know, there's a lot more 
initiative put into recruitment and hiring, I think, than there than there was 30 or 40 years ago. I agree. And I also want to myth bust a little bit. I didn't know this for a while, but you guys know that you pay to be on those lists, right? You pay to be on a top place to work. You pay to be on a top 40 under 40. Like that is a, (laughs) there might be a lot of people paying and you might win those slots and you probably had to get those good surveys, but you pay. This reminds me so much of like every year getting those mailers that were like, you've been named one of the top high school students in America. And all you have to do is pay $49.95 to get them like the yearbook with your name in it. And it was such a scam. And I remember thinking when I was 17 years old that it was a scam. But there are certainly folks who like, I I guess, like shelled out the money and then like put that on their college transcripts or what? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. Just wanted to kind of lay that out there. Because I'm not sure it's that transparent. I'm sure. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, but that is actually how I found my current job is what I went looking on built in Austin's there, like best places to work. And my organization was on there. Yeah. And I mean, it is certainly, it's the best job I've ever had and I love it. Um, but mm, pay and apply. <laughs> <laughs> or at least pay to enter. Yes. And that's my point as well. What has been the biggest impetus for you over the years for trying to find a new job in any of your positions? Boredom. I don't know, feeling like I'm not challenged or feeling like I'm doing repetitive work and not growing. I think that's probably been every single one is there wasn't enough left there for me to learn or to learn from. Yeah, that makes sense. At some point you really do kind of cap out on like, what you can learn from a certain place and how much, you know, blood you can get from that stone. Well, and I think that's completely okay and appropriate. And that's part of your manager's job is to get you to a place where they've taught you everything. There's maybe there's not a role for you next. So they're there to support you to try to get something new. And if they're not doing that, they're doing you a disservice. And I know that there should be a loyalty to your company or to the, your job, but truly they're trying to make you a better candidate, a better employee, a better person, uh, better at your skill. So if they're, if you're reaching a point and they don't have any more stretch goals for you, or they don't know how to push you any further, um, I think then, then their job is to support you moving out of your job. I was talking with a colleague a few months ago, and she was telling me about one of her former managers who I I believe the phrase she used was she managed everybody out of the organization. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And she was saying that because it was a good thing. You know, she was very under, she was very empathetic to and understanding of their aspirations as individuals extended far beyond the team and the organization. And she was helping them kind of take that next leap in a way that ultimately would be really, really great and really productive and really exciting for them. Um, And then after she had sort of watched all of these baby birds leave the nest, she herself left. Um, And that was sort of like a really huge deal. I mean, the organization was a little bit peeved, but you know, these people were all like stoked. And she, she was, you know, my colleague was, was, was sharing this woman as an example of like a really excellent manager. And I think that's a great point. I think you said what I was saying much more eloquently, but (laughs) from my personal experience, that's what I have wanted for my, for my team is if, you know, there's nothing left to give them at the organization, then we should support them moving forward. 
And those can be hard conversations to initiate as an employee, right? Um, Because a lot of the times people don't have like terribly candid or even good relationships with their bosses and coming to your boss and saying something like, okay, I'm I'm done here. I want to, I got to do the next thing is taken very, very poorly. People take it personally. Um, People, you know, think they have a, a, a more of a, an, an allegiance to the organization than they do to their, to their team, which I don't believe should ever be true, but we see it quite often. And so, you know, it can be a hard conversation to initiate as somebody who's coming to your boss and saying, it's not you, it's me. I got to go. Um. <laughs> well, what also is tough then for the manager is that they have a manager. So when they're asking about how's your team, what's how's so-and-so doing with this or that, maybe they seem checked out or whatever it is. And it, depending on your boss, you have to figure out how you have those conversations. Um, personally, I have just gauged how the mood and the person, like it was a very, I don't think there's a blanket way to handle it. It depended on the role, how critical it would have been to backfill. If there'd be a big gap when they left or if there could be some people covering bases. So I think there's lots to consider from that manager standpoint of how you handle it with your boss. Well, and there are obviously logistical and tactical considerations to keep in mind as well, right? Because the work still needs to get done. Um, when you lose a body on your team who has been, you know, generating any kind of output, whatever your job is, that needs to be filled. You have to actually do that. And so encouraging people to fly away, little bird is wonderful, but you know, your manager is left behind um, mm-hmm. to sort of find a new, I'm not going to keep using the baby bird metaphor, <laughs> um, but a new mouth to regurgitate digested worms into. <laughs> Gross. Well, do you, is your answer any different about why you've been ready to leave? No. I mean, sometimes I've been like actively unhappy. Once I was laid off because there was a, a recession in 2008, um, I hated that job and I was happy to, to be able to not have to make the decision myself, um, which was weird. And I did wait around too long, but I was, I had just started grad school and I was complacent and lazy and this certainly lit the fire it needed to. And my first job, I, I, was so I was so aware that PR was not going to be my career. Um, I was not good at pitching to the media. I hated doing it. So that was um, why I left the first one because I was just not suited for the industry I learned. And then one time I, I left a job because I was I was moving um, and had to leave the organization because I was leaving the city. Um, but yeah, I think it is a lot of the same things. It's boredom, it's frustration, it's not liking the vibe of a place. <laughs> Um, you know, feeling as though I'm not being used to, to my capacity, um, not being interested in the work, not liking the way the work was being completed. Yeah. I don't think that like I had any sort of, I, I don't think I ever had any real lightning bolts, but I, I do think that there are places I stayed for too long just because I got very comfortable and complacent. Yeah. And I think that happens to, dare I say our generation, Mm -hmm. but as we were speaking to earlier, I'm not sure the younger generation is allowing that to happen. Well, I think that like we've been kind of raised in, again, a generation that places a lot of um, value in being really thankful for the organization that's, that's nice enough to give you a job and like corporate loyalty and you're, you know, in, in, in later years of that particular generational sentiment, your work family. 
And now I think there is a changing feeling and sentiment and tide where people are realizing, no, I'm here to do you a favor. I'm selling you my time. You're not my family. And if I don't like what's being served for dinner, I'm going to go eat at a restaurant. So I think that there's a really a, a very huge shift in the way all of us think about organizations, what they owe to us and what we owe to them. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think when you get in one that still has that kind of older mindset, maybe they're family run or smaller, it can be confusing because they still want to push those kind of like kumbaya vibes on you when you and you appreciate them. You drink the Kool-Aid for a little while because, you know, everyone else is and it must taste good. And then you kind of snap out of it and you're like, wait a minute, they're not my family. Mm -hmm. I need to go home. What is happening? (laughs) It's late. It's 10. What are we doing? Yeah. uh I think for a long time we were victims of corporate gaslighting maybe and thinking that we really owed these places much more than we actually did. Even when we were miserable, it was, well, they gave me a job. Well, they're ready to give somebody else a job the second you leave. So don't think that they're going to be crying into their soup about losing a family member because they're not. And you shouldn't be either. So how do you think that should be talked about at work? Because now that, you know, maybe that isn't prevalent. Maybe that's an aha moment you have with age or something. So how as a leader or as in, in an organization, how should this be talked about? I mean, 10 or 15 years ago, and certainly before that, talking about your compensation was extraordinarily out of the question. It was super taboo. And then in the last five, 10 years, people are starting to to encourage people to be more transparent about how much money they get paid because that sort of... Um, you know, sheds light on any inequities that are going on in compensation. It makes people feel like they can ask for more. It just kind of levels the playing field in a a way that, that when you were supposed to zip your lips about getting, you know, $5,000 more than the person who sits next to you. So I think maybe it, it is something that could follow that template, right? Where like, now I don't think that we're there in a way where everybody's still super comfortable with like putting their salary right under their nameplate outside of their cube. But I think that if, if this conversation of like, it's cool to leave and your career is your career and not our career that we're giving you, that kind of movement can sort of more organically um, allow us to be more honest about the ways in which we, we manage our own careers and leave places to go other places. Absolutely. And I think there's more literature out there, more articles on LinkedIn, more people talking about it, which is a way things become not taboo, right? It becomes normalized and it becomes um, things everybody sort of knows or talks about and then it becomes second nature. Yeah, and now instead of wearing a name tag to conferences, I'm just gonna wear a sticker that says how much money I make every year. (laughs) No problem, I'll shoot a design over. So job hopping doesn't necessarily mean that you have to move to another organization. There could be another job, another position, another opportunity in your same company right now. You could just go from doing UX design to marketing design or, you know, project managing this kind of thing to project managing this kind of thing. There are other teams in larger or even medium-sized organizations that could provide the jolt to your career and the new opportunity and new experiences that you need. Yeah. And I've seen that happen a lot at the executive level where perhaps someone is managing marketing and they get to manage marketing for a year to 18 months. And then all the execs 
shift. So now that marketing person is in charge of finance. So truly what they're trying to do is let their leadership skills shine and delegation and accountability um, and trusting the experts and let them truly lead. So it doesn't actually matter which big thing you're in charge of, your skills should be transferable if you are a true leader. So I think that's really cool to see when that happens because it also shakes teams up, right? It teaches different learning styles and I could see how it could be really frustrating as well, especially if you really love your leader and working for them inspires you. But I think that's interesting and a cool thing to do at like a C-level for people to continue to be in an organization, but flex different muscles. I really had an emotional roller coaster when you were telling that because I went from hating it and thinking that that's just like opportunities for corporate executives to have a sandbox to do whatever they want to being like, oh, sure. Cause that means that they're like being leaders and trusting their people to execute on like functions. Yeah. Um, that's a really interesting way of, of sort of scaling that. Um, I like that. So the moral of the story is just, you know, hop around all you want to. The corporate world is sort of yours for the taking as much as it can be. And there is a lot of creativity in cobbling together. You know, think of your career as a collage art, right? You're sort of cutting out pieces and scotch taping them all over to, to, to your personal construction paper of um, a career path. And there are a whole lot of ways it can look. And, you know, also there's no shame in hanging out uh, at a place where you like and you like the work and you like the people. But if you feel bored for a long period of time, then scoot. Yeah. Trust your gut. I think it's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks everybody. We will uh, talk to you next week, the last week of the year. And we're going to be talking about um, a very predictable topic for our end of 2020 new year's episode. So uh, we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Artist at Work. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Instagram and Twitter under the handle at artist at work pod. And our website is theartist-atwork.com. We'll see you next time.